This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast presented by Overdrive. This is an interview with author Heather Demetrios that Adam and I recorded, obviously, before his last day here at Overdrive. Um, Heather came on the podcast a couple of years ago for her book, Bad Romance, which we both loved. So when she let us know she has a new book out called Code Name Badass, which is a true story of... Um, the spy Virginia Hall, we obviously had to have her on and talk to her. And it was so much fun. Um, not only is her book just delightful, but Heather is delightful. And we talked all about like real life spy stuff and, you know, being a woman spy um, and sort of that role that, that Virginia had. And just, uh, it was so much fun. I'm so excited for you all to listen to this interview if you want to get a hold of the podcast, you can visit our website, professionalbooknerds.com. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, TikTok at ProBookNerds. And you can always email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. So I think that's everything. Happy Monday. Hope you all have a good week. And I hope you all enjoy this interview with Heather Demetrios on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. <music> everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Adam and Jill, and I'm going to introduce our guests right now in just a moment. It's been a long time since Jill and I have done an interview together, but when, I know. when this particular person reached out to us, we both loved speaking with her so much together that we were like, we have to do this one together. I don't know why I'm like bearing the lead. The name's going to be in the name of the, the podcast. So I'm just going to introduce her. Heather Demetrios is a critically acclaimed author, writing coach, and certified meditation teacher. She has an MFA in writing from Vermont College of Fine Arts and is the recipient of the Penn American Penn America Susan P. Bloom Discovery Award for her debut novel, Something Real. Her novels include Little Universes, I'll Meet You There, Bad Romance, which she was on for with Jill and I a while back as well as the Dark Caravan fantasy series, Exquisite Captive Blood Passage and Freedom Slave. Her nonfiction includes the Junior Library Guild Gold Standard Selection Codename Badass, The True Story of Virginia Hall, which is what we are here to talk about right now. Heather, welcome back. Hello. I'm so excited to talk to you both. <laughs> we are so excited to have you on. Um, Dart, can you tell all of our listeners um, all about Codename Badass. Yeah, so um, I was at the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C., which if you have not been there, oh my gosh. I mean, I'm a maladjusted weirdo, but that was my Disney World. Okay. Same. At, <laughs> yes. And I didn't know it existed, but my friend was in town and she's like, what are we going to do? And, you know, Googled and it was like, oh my God. So we went there and there was this little section, which Jill, maybe you even saw it when you were there. I don't know how long it's been there, but it had this little plaque and it said, the incredible limping lady. 
I was intrigued by that. So I kept reading. And that's how I learned about the badass Virginia Hall. They had her uh, radio there and her passports and learned that she was a, like the most amazing spy in World War II that pretty much no one had ever heard of, um, except for anyone who went to this museum. And, um, you know, kind of like burying this lead a little bit because I don't think she's defined by it, but she was an amputee. So she was a disabled woman who was a spy who evaded the Nazis, who armed the French resistance. I mean, her husband fell from the sky in a parachute. So that's pretty cool. Um, into her not waiting arms because he was <laughs> off course, but that's okay. Um, you know, she she was incredible. And she was told no, 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 again and again. And basically just carved this path for herself. And what I love the most about her is that she is an amputee because she literally shot herself in the foot literally in a hunting accident and she didn't let that stop her which I don't know if that happened to me I feel like especially you know in the 30s when women were so defined by you know oh finding a husband and blah 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 you know and she was just like no I'm I'm gonna go drive an ambulance for France when the Nazis invaded and then I'm gonna join the British spy service because the Americans won't have me and oh now I'm gonna be one of the first career staff service of the CIA I mean, she just was incredible but you know because she was a spy very few people know about her until now actually there's something in the air there are things happening JJ Abrams might make a movie about her with Daisy Ridley like there's things happening but I think now that that is probably because more women's stories are being told, but she's incredible. Yeah. So when we talk with people who write nonfiction, like bi biographies about, you know, other people, a lot of the times I'm always curious, like, you know, how did you learn about this person? Would you answer to them? Like, what made you want to write their story? But like this one, it's silly to even ask, like, why'd you want to write about this person? Because her life is literally like a spy movie. Like it, Yes. The aspects of the things that she did, honestly, if I hadn't like read through them, I'd be like, this, this is insane. I, I don't know. I just like, was there a certain point where you were like, there's actually too much to write about? Or like, how, how do you pick it? Like, this is a type of a yeah. person where it's like, how do you determine what parts to not put into this book? Well, and that was the hard part because there's so much and I'm such a nerd for all things espionage. And there were so many other amazing women who she worked with in France and, and also like foreign women who were coming in as spies. And I could probably write like 10 books in a series about all of these women, but um, my editor made me cut a ton. And so, you know, just little pro tip, the end notes is where I got mine. <laughs> so there's a lot of extra info in there, but um, I think the most incredible, like when I was writing, it's like, oh, come on. Like, if this is a novel, you'd be like, you've taken it too far, Demetrius, yeah. you know, but she climbed the Pyrenees mountains. Okay. In November in crazy winter weather. In fact, I was talking to Susan Denard, the author, because she did that hike. And when I told her that Dindy, as we call her, Virginia Hall's nickname is Dindy. And if you read the book, you're, you'll only ever call her Dindy. Um, she, I told her when she climbed, you know, and oh, by the way, she had, you know, a prosthetic leg and no cliff bars and the Nazis were invading France at the time. And oh, and she had to hide that she had a disability because the guide would have left her like just like left her because he would be afraid to get caught or that she'd slow them down. 
but she did it anyway. She, I mean, she, like, she, it's like, come on, you know, but she did it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sort of wondering, like, you talk about the end notes and like, you know, some of the things, but like, how, like, how does one research a spy? Because I imagine there's a lot of things you probably don't have access to. Like, how does that work exactly? <laughs> Yeah, I'm just over here kind of like laughing for people who can't see me because, you know, this is kind of on brand me of just like leap before I look and I'm like, wow, no one's heard about this spy. I'm going to write about her. And it's like, oh, by the way, half the documents are in French, which I don't read very well. Thank God for Google Translate, you know, but it's like these interrogation reports and like field reports in French. Everything's in these like archives. Some of it's declassified, some of it's not. I actually had to get security clearance to go to the CIA and like figure out, you know, how do you talk to spies? Like I I called the, for example, I called the CIA's um, PR office, which actually that sounds really cool. I called the CIA, but I did. And I was talking to them and, um, you know, we get to the end of the conversation and I'm like, oh, okay, so, you know, how can I quote you in the book? And she was like, oh no, this entire conversation is off the record. And I was like, well, shit, you know, you should have told me that, you know, sorry, can I curse on this? I mean, yeah. my book's called Coding yes. Badass. But, yes. Okay. <laughs> the book is very salty, but extremely well-researched. So my big thing was in terms of the research was like, okay, I'm researching a spy. Who is this woman who didn't, that we know of, keep a journal, she like burned everything, you know, she was, she didn't tell anybody about her service. You know, there were so many spies who were writing like tell all memoirs after the war, but she wanted to stay operational. So she was, you know, a spy until the early sixties. Um, so she didn't tell anyone anything. And even with her family member, um, Lorna Catling, her niece that I interviewed, even then we're both kind of like trying to piece things together, you know, um, and there were a lot of rumors about her, you know, like one spy wrote this whole account of how she jumped out of an airplane holding her leg in one hand, her prosthesis and a bottle of whiskey in the other. And I was like, actually, I read the report and she was on a boat, but whatever, you know, so a lot of it is just kind of like really having to vet sources. And this is my little side note soapbox. Please cite your sources, everybody in the world. Like, I can't believe how many books I read that were actually written by scholars through university presses with no endnotes, no footnotes, no citations. And I'm like, how do we trust what you're saying? And in fact, actually what you said is wrong because I'm reading the original report, you know? So for me, it was like, I just had to be so neurotic, but you're writing a woman's life, you know? I mean, that's, that's the job. So, um, it was a huge learning curve. I'm not going to lie, but, um, but here we are talking about it. So I pulled it off. Mission accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love, I'm, please continue dropping in spy phrases throughout the entire, the whole. No, I actually, actually, I do want to follow up with that. Um, did yeah. you actually go to the CIA, like in their library? I am fascinated by the CIA library. I once applied for a job there, but then I talked about it, which is probably why I didn't get a call back. But like the CIA has library. I mean, there's probably lots of reasons I didn't get a <laughs> Not that I'm like, I and you're like, I applied for the CIA. It's probably not great, but like, I am fascinated by the idea that like the, the CIA has a library and librarians, like everything about that is just like, because again, yeah. I, I also have like a fascination with espionage and things. And so the, you know, I mean, 
I'm kind of a fangirl of the CIA, which is highly problematic, obviously. <laughs> um, but they are really, I mean, the people that I met are incredible. And, um, you know, people that have retired agents, intelligence officers um, who have retired be often become docents at their um, in-house museum, which is, so when I went, so I had to get security clearance, which the, you know, so I, I got that, I got in, looks just like the movies and um, they have this whole museum that's dedicated mostly to agents to learn about the agency and learn about its history. And so the library is kind of, I think, part of the museum and um, kind of, you know, keeping that record. Um, and, you know, the CIA takes in all kinds, you know, I mentioned that I had a theater degree and they were like, we take theater people. And, you know, it was very tempting. I've definitely been on the job board multiple times. Um, <laughs> I, I always tell people though, this book is a great cover because no one would think I was actually working for the CIA because all I do is like talk about the CIA. So, true. you know, true. you never know. So for but, all we um, know, you yeah. actually are a spy right now. Like we oh, could yeah. know that and you would have, no okay. Oh yeah. Well, I was doing international house sitting while I was writing this book. And I was like, this is the best cover ever, ever. Like, it's like, oh, where's Heather? She's in Marrakesh. Oh, where's Heather? She's in Spain. And it's like, maybe I'm on a mission. Maybe I'm writing a book. Who knows? Who knows? Hold on, hold on, hold on. International house sitting? Okay, this is the best hack ever. Go to trustedhousesitters.com. That's the best site for it. I'm not like an affiliate or anything. Um, yeah, people need their houses to be watched and their pets to be sat. Is that the right grammar? I don't know. And, um, all over the world. So yeah, I actually, when I was at the, um, British archives researching all of the, you know, the agent files for the special operations executive, which Virginia Hall was part of, um, for most of her time in the field, uh, well in the field for world war II. I lived in England. So I was in Bournemouth, um, which is outside of London. It's beautiful. Um, I was in Spain. I was like on like Zurich. I met all these great animals that I got to, you know, cuddle up with for the weeks that I was at that person's house. I have friends. I lived in Lyon, which is where Virginia Hall had her first mission. So I just like lived basically in her neighborhood and watched um, Gunter, who was a <laughs> French French pity and um, Skilos, who's a little black cat, and ha they had a great espresso machine too. So it was a, it was, it was a hard life, you guys. Very oh, sounds very like hard. it. Sounds like <laughs> it. So you mentioned you, know, you interviewed members of her family, and because of the fact that so much of her life was kept a secret, and and I, I watched you know one or two like interviews with. Her, I think it was her niece who's like in mm -hmm. her. 80s. Yeah, Lorna. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so because of that, I mean, I, I saw that they had some like kind of anecdotes from when she was younger, but like, were they able to provide you any like color or context for the the life that she was living? Because like you said, if a lot of this stuff is classified in the CIA, CIA like I doubt you're then going to be able to turn around and be like, well. They're off the record, but her niece could give me the goods. Like, was there were there things you're able to pull like about her career? I mean, obviously, like I said the, the color about her life and everything is extremely helpful too. But like, were there things you're able to gather about the stuff she was doing that her family might not have known about at the time? Yeah, you know, when I when I went into the CIA records, you know, a lot of her stuff is still redacted because she did work for um, in the South American paramilitary wing for part of that time. So there's that. Um, 
but um, her family, you know, she was, she, she really did keep her, you know, it's like that whole thing during the war, loose lips sink ships, right? So she really, and was incredibly humble. Like she got the Croix de Guerre, which is Avec Palm, which is the highest military honor in France. And she didn't tell anybody. She like literally nobody knew until they like found in an old archive in like the late, you know, in the early 2000s, you know? So there, she really wasn't talking about it at all, but I was able to track down this um, biographer, Margaret Rossiter, who taught at the University of Michigan. And she wrote a book called Women in the Resistance, which is fabulous. And um, she corresponded with Dindy. So I actually, thank God, Margaret Rossiter saved her correspondence and she had it in the university archives. So I was able to learn really cool things that I hadn't seen anywhere else about her. Like she did end up in a Spanish prison for a little while, hanging out with prostitutes and, and um, grandmas, abuelas. And so um, she told this wonderful story about this, this, this woman, Valentina, that I felt really showed Dindy's heart because it's like, of all the stories she could tell, oh, oh I did this, I blew this up, I did that, D-Day, blah, blah, blah. She's like, I met this really sweet woman in prison and I had a good time with those gals in the slammer. And I was just like, to me, it told so much, you know, cause she like literally broke, like organized one of the biggest prison breaks of World War II was basically the great escape. And no, she didn't talk about that. Um, I later learned actually, and this is pretty, uh, I guess, on like topic for today, um, that her counterinsurgency strategies, cause she's like an early architect of, you know, um, kind of the warfare that we have now, right? Asymmetrical warfare, um, because that's what the French resistance was. It's completely asymmetrical. It was the first time that big governments got involved in that. And I found out that the CIA actually used her strategy in France in the early days in Afghanistan. So when all this stuff has been going on with Afghanistan, I've been thinking so much about Dindi because after the war, war in World War II, I saw these letters that she would write on behalf of the French people that worked with her because so many French people risked their lives to, you know, carry out these missions, whether it was to help her collect arms or to pass along messages that like couriers have the most dangerous job. You know, you're hiding secret messages and microfilm in your like little, you know, your bike handles and the Gestapo stop you. You know what I mean? Um, so she had so many people helping her. And I just, I mean, I would never put words in Virginia Hall's mouth, but I can't help but think that she'd see what's happening with all the translators and stuff being left behind and thinking like, what? They use my strategy to get into that country. And then now like they're leaving these people behind, you know? So it's been interesting just to see sort of the way that she has influenced even like military strategy today, you know, and she, she actually is credited with helping liberate Paris because of the intel that she gave to the military before they kicked the Nazis out of Paris. But again, these are things that you have to like dig through like military records and like archives and, you know, and those are things that her niece didn't know going back to your original question, you know, she'd say, oh, really? And I'm like, yeah, let me tell you about your niece. She's awesome, you know, <laughs> or your aunt, you know. So um, yeah, and, and Lauren is amazing. She's just like a wonderful person. And it, and she had me over for lunch and showed me a million pictures. And that's been really cool to have that little connection with Virginia Hall, you know? Um, just yeah. to kind of follow up on that, sorry. I have one, no, one I didn't have anything, go ahead. Um, I, I, isn't it like the, so I was thinking about like there was a moment 
in her life where she like didn't go to a um a meeting because something seemed like fishy to her and she ended up being able to escape because she didn't get caught like a lot of agents did like isn't that or at least part of what like the cia's like motto is about like basically like not trusting and like being very cautious type of a thing like that it the fact that you know obviously she was a huge i don't want to say risk taker but she was very adventurous and she was very brave and daring but she also exercised caution when it was essential like i have to imagine that was something that was so like essential to her survival right is like knowing when to say like okay i'm going to attempt to break these people out of prison but having other times where she's like i i'm not going to go do x y or z because the risk is too great like there's that balance i would imagine yeah that that meeting that you're talking about was like oh it was such a bad like everybody got rounded up and it was you know it's you're not supposed to write down an address you're not supposed to share the address you're not supposed to contact other people that you work with in the field because you don't know who's being watched. And I'm glad that you mentioned that because, um, you know, one of the things that Virginia Hall was so good at was being cautious and, you know, she would take risks when, you know, she did that cost benefit analysis and definitely risked her life all the time. But there were people who were just really foolhardy and they got caught because of it. And, you know, sometimes it's loneliness in the field and they take a French lover and then they, you know, spill some secrets and, um, you know, different things like that. But, um, you know, the hard thing for Virginia Hall is that she was so good at being invisible that, of course, she was a great spy and didn't get, you know, caught. But, you know, well, at least not by the Nazis. But, um in the end, she was almost too good at being invisible, especially in a patriarchal world, because, mm-hmm. you know, as I mentioned later in the book, when she was at the CIA, you know, they gave her a desk job and the, and the men who were, you know, in charge of the CIA had less field experience than she did. And she was getting paid less than young men who had never had experience in the field and who came in years after her. And, you know, and so there is that, that kind of double-edged sword of invisibility, you know, being good at it, but then also the ways in which it, you know, affects you. But um, her cautiousness is actually something that I think came up also in the CIA. There was a report, actually, I love her so much because she was like, I'm writing my supervisor. And so she like wrote this whole report about how, you know, they are not utilizing her in the field and they're not listening to her. And some people had said she was too conservative. And this was during the early days of the Cold War in South America. And I'm sure that Dindy was like, hey, these strategies you have in South America, not so good. <laughs> but, you know, it's like no one's listening to her because, you know, at, as we all know, that's such a black mark on the CIA's history, what happened in the Cold War, especially in South America and the 50s the 60s and I feel like you know people were just kind of like let's go let's do all these crazy things you know um but she you know in the field was not like that she was super organized and in fact like a lot of the Frenchmen especially resented her because she was a boss lady you know and she was in charge of the money and she was the one with the radio who could contact London and they didn't always like that but you know, they got their country back from the Nazis. So can they complain too much? I don't think so. <laughs> no. no, they can't. No, they can't. <laughs> no, no. <but> I, <laughs> no, I think it's, yeah, you like, I think there's just like this idea of like, who, like what kind of person works for the CIA, like what their attitude is like, gender they are, but, and, you know, and then you have, you know, Virginia Hall where it's just like, 
not at all what you would expect in like the best way possible. And I, but I love this idea that she like love and hate the idea that she was just like so good at her job that she doesn't get recognized it. Mm -hmm. Like that's like the perfect kind of spy thing. Like you're so good at your job, you're invisible, but there is that sort of flip side to being that good at your job. Well, and I think, um, you know, she, she's recognized for her, her service and her stewardship, you know, and I think that, you know, it's interesting writing a book like this right now, because you, you know, everyone's trying to build their online brand. Everybody is taking pictures of where they are, what they're doing, getting the likes. And you just can't be that kind of person, you know, like, you know, for lack of a better term, I'm sure there's a better one, but a less fun one. But like, you know, she was okay with people thinking she was a basic bitch, you know, because if she was to go out and share all these things she was doing, (laughs) obviously she'd be out of job, but you know, she wouldn't be able to serve in the way that she wanted to. And she even said, you know, when people asked her, you know, why are you doing this for France? Like France isn't even your country. And she's like, but my friends are here and this is my second home. And, you know, fascists are bad. So I'm going to fight them, you know? And it was just kind of like a no brainer for her. Um, But, you know, it, it is hard when, you know, you're not, you can't be somebody who's, you know, tooting your own horn all the time and, and getting all that attention. And you have to be okay with living that dual life and really have a sense of it being service oriented. And, you know, it's not, it's not like the movies. I mean, sometimes, but not nearly as much as people would like. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely, like you said, it's not like the movies, but at the same time, like the things that she did are stuff that you would expect to like, you would like someone <laughs> hiking through the Pyrenees mountains like with yeah like that kind of stuff <laughs> like do you actually I, I don't know if you like watch you know like you know spy movies or anything like that but like if you do since starting this process like do you find yourself being like yeah that, that could happen that's you know these are things I don't okay, know I first just... of all you don't know if I watch spy movies Come yeah on, I feel no. like this was already established <laughs> like way in the beginning that she was, like that's fair. Yeah, no, I, I love the spy movies. Okay. So yes, no, there are definitely things where I'm like, you know, especially now that I know more about, you know, trade craft and things like that, where I'm like, that's a bad idea. Or like, oh, that's pretty good. Oh, I like that. You know, um, I'm a huge, huge fan of, you know, controversially of Tom Cruise and I love uh, Mission Impossible. You readers, listeners can't see this, but I do have a Top Gun poster on my wall. I was wondering me. what that was. <laughs> oh yeah. It's Top Gun poster. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I feel, I feel like, um, what's so cool about Dindy and what I would love to see more, actually they do this in, um, what is it? Covert affairs. If you like the TV show, covert affairs, one of the operatives is blind. He is my favorite character. I super love that there is this like high powered blind agent in the CIA, according to this, you know, um, or I guess seeing impaired, but, um, yeah, and that's amazing. And I feel like we need to see more of that because, you know, I, part of the work that I did with this book is that I went way down a rabbit hole of diversity in the CIA. Cause I was curious, you know, we, we never hear about, you know, disabled CIA operatives. We never hear about, you know, a big contingent of LGBTQ plus non-binary agents, you know, which actually I think that that's like a huge benefit to the agency to have people who, you know, are fluid and and all these things, but um, you never hear about it. So I went down a deep dive and um, they still have a lot of work to do. 
They really do. I mean, there is more diversity, of course, than ever. And in many ways, you know, for women and, you know, disabled people, folks and just, you know, basically anyone who's not a, a white man, no offense, Adam, I don't know if you identify as male, but, <laughs> but, um, you know, I feel like it's important to say like, okay, yes, they're doing some of that work and there needs to be more done. And especially with tech, there's so many opportunities now for all different kinds of, of agents. In fact, when I was at the CIA, um, they were telling me about, you know, different agents who were there who were in, you know, um, using wheelchairs and it was totally fine, you know? So there is, there is a lot of improvement, but like, how much do you want to see a spy movie with, you know, somebody like Virginia Hall who has disabilities and is still rocking it because you totally can right uh, that would be awesome when you yeah. mentioned um like the the blind or seen impaired i kept thinking one of my favorite movies is sneakers and there's love it and there's yes. like a whole there's a whole like my one of my absolute favorite scenes of that entire movie has to do with the like many of the characters are like former cia and and all that stuff and one of them has to do with one of the characters and the fact that he can't see and like you know like the sound they've it's, oh my God, I love it. So I would be all about yeah, that. Just because that sense that. is heightened. And in fact, I, I mentioned that in the book too about Dindy, you know, as a disabled woman, she actually, well, two things as a disabled person and as the woman actually kind of made her a better spy because, you know, women just in general, given statistics and everything, you know, we're always having to be vigilant, right? We're always having to kind of look around, see where we're at you know, get the vibe on people, all that sort of stuff. We're, you know, noticing details because that we have to, to be safe, right? So female operatives already have a leg up and, you know, no pun intended in that respect. But then for Dindy, you know, as a disabled woman, she had to be so familiar with her environment. She had to know, you know, for example, Europe is filled with cobblestones. Okay. If you have a prosthetic leg, that is very difficult to walk on or there right it's just and you're getting in and out of boats and all these sorts of things and so I think like you know part of it is like that became almost a superpower for her it made her more vigilant it made her more cautious it made her more aware of her environment which are all assets in the field so um yeah more disabled CIA operatives please in fiction and in reality <laughs> yes yeah. please I, I mean it just like to me it even for people who you know, would have biases or be prejudiced, which I know is a disgusting amount of people in the world, but like yeah, thinking about CIA operatives, like the fact that they have to go into literally all types of situations and scenarios, like if any organization would want a massively diverse, like not to say cast of characters, but like employment, you would think it would be the CIA because like just the fact that they need to be in you know interconnected to all these different places like I don't to me it's like seems obvious like of course you would want like exactly what you said like you know gender fluid gender non-binary people with you know that are differently able like whatever it is to be able to go into different and like just even just not even going into like different uh parts of society but like just seeing the world differently and like you said like understanding that there's different ways to approach even something as simple as you know walking across a bridge like these things matter and being able to see the world differently that I imagine that was such an important part of her success 
Well, and I think also it just like helps you connect to a greater variety of people. Yeah. Like I mentioned that woman, Valentina, that she was in prison with the old abuela. And, you know, it's like for Dindy, she was like, oh, here's this woman. I'm going to be her friend. She's not ageist, right? She's like, oh, you know, Valentina's cool because, you know, she doesn't, at least from what I could tell, she doesn't, you know, see people on that like sort of spectrum, right? She's like, you're just a person. Like we all have our flaws. We all have our struggles. We all have our pain. We're all dealing with stuff. I would imagine, you know, Virginia Hall was in pain all the time. You know, I have a family member who has actually a very similar amputation to Dindy. And, you know, they're in pain all the time. And you're constantly having to get more surgeries. Every time you get a new prosthetic limb, you know, it's like, and this is like, nowadays, it's way more high tech. I mean, Dindy had a corset attached, you know, like her leg, like she pulled it on and then it was like a corset. She had to like tie it on herself and like, you know, and like not let anyone in the field know about it, right? So I think for her, that made her an even better asset because if you... I mean, this is the same thing about writing novels, right? If you can identify somebody's pain point, which is what, you know, agents are trained to do, then, you know, you are much better able to work with them in the field because you know what motivates them. And so for Virginia Hall, who's always in pain, you know, I feel like she would be able to really recognize and connect with people on, on different levels. So, yeah. Yeah, this is, it's, just been, it's just been so interesting seeing how things that we would think are setbacks and they I mean obviously they were very difficult for her but I don't and if she hadn't literally and I mean this in the actual use of the word literally was written off by FDR himself you know um they they discriminated against her when she wanted to work for the state department because she was a woman. And then because she was disabled, they were making up all these reasons and then going back and backtracking. And, you know, FDR used a wheelchair because of childhood polio. So you would think that of all the people who would be an advocate for her, it would be him. Um, and he even wrote this funny letter that's in the FDR archives about how, you know, like do agents need to be able, or you no, know, what does he say? He said, I've seen State Department ambassadors, you know, dance very well on one leg and, you know, like trying to like support her. But then eventually, you know, the State Department went out. And so FDR literally wrote her off and he was like, well, okay, I'll go with your recommendation. And it's like this woman, literally the president of the United States was like, see ya, you know, and she was like, no, I'm going to do my own thing. And I just, I love that about her. <laughs> I'm wondering. Obviously, we talked about so many awesome things that she's done, badass, obviously. But is there like, mm -hmm. is there anything, like one thing in particular that didn't make it in the book that was just like, you really wish had made it in? You know, I actually was able to get everything in because of the end notes. <laughs> fair enough, fair uh, enough. Yeah, that was my sneaky, my sneaky um, strategy, but um yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I guess it's like a little bit awkward as an author, like with your author's note and stuff about how to articulate this. Um, but I just basically was really worried that people wouldn't think that I had researched this book as rigorously as any biographer, David McCullough, whoever. 
um, because of the language, you know, it's intentionally salty. It's an, it's written to be like a, like a drunk history episode, but one that's like incredibly well-researched. Right. And I told my husband, you know, when I first went to the museum, I came home and the first thing I said was, Oh my God, I have to tell you about this badass American spy. And I thought, I want to write the book like that. I want to write it how we are talking about her. Like her life was so incredible. She was so incredible. You know, it's 2021. And like, of course, there's a space for obviously David McCullough and, you know, all of these, you know, big, serious biographies. And, and that's important. You know, this is also a serious biography. It's just fun to read. You know, I got to quote Lizzo and things like that, you know, and make it relevant and make it fresh. I keep I, my, my husband's like, oh, my God, Heather, because I'm always like, biography for the people, you know, but that's like how it feels like for me. And, you know, I can't really put that in the book other than hope that people will trust like when they see the 30 pages of endnotes and all of, you know, that, that they'll be like, oh, okay. And reviewers have noticed that too, which I appreciate, but, you know, in a, in a fake news post-facts world, you know, I feel like it's just so important to do that work. And, you know, I'm afraid that with a title like Codename Badass um, or, you know, an OG Valley girl like me, you know, talking about the book saying, oh, my God, or like or whatever, that people, you know, might not realize, oh, this is this is a real deal biography. It's just a new way of doing it that's accessible to all ages and, you know, also makes it relevant to our life today, you know, and I tried to kind of sneak that in a little bit in the author's note, but you know, you can't overstay your welcome in that space of the book, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I would, I would rather, like, if I was 17 years old, I mean, I love, you know, love the story as a fully functioning adult, but, like, if I was a kid reading this, like, I'd rather have it be in a, like, voice that was fun and made sense to me as opposed to, like, don't get me wrong, like you said, there's a place for Ken Burns' documentaries where he slowly pans yeah. out a picture of people playing baseball in 1920, like, that's great, but can also speak like a human being in a book. I don't know. I'm, I'm supportive of it. Yeah. And I haven't Same. seen like anything else quite like this. Like I've seen, well, um, Mackenzie Lee, she's been an early supporter of the book and, you know, she did bygone badass broads and she's so, you know, such a awesome feminist writer as well. And, um, you know, she did it like in a bite-sized way, but I would love to see more books like this because I love biographies. There's going to be an audio book, which I'm really excited about um, narrated by Nikki Masood and, I feel like that's a way that people really like to access things now. So it's like, if you can have fun reading and like learning so much. And then of course, for my young readers, you know, just realizing you can literally shoot yourself in the foot and come out. Okay. You know, um, that's like, if they can walk away with that, then I'm happy. <laughs> well, not to give you a book recommendation, but I'm going to give you a book recommendation. Yeah. But if you have not read our friend Mallory O'Meara's book, The Lady from the Black Lagoon, I think you would love it. It is about oh, Millicent yes. Patrick, who was the creator of the creature from the Black Lagoon. And then because of the patriarchy, it was basically lost to history. And Mallory's book is so good. So you might like that. Oh, one. that sounds so good. Yeah, I... I, I love that there's just more and more space now for people telling women's stories and, you know, people that are just generally shoved to the sidelines, but also creative ways. Like I'm starting to see biographies that are graphic novels and mm -hmm. things like that. So it's, it's pretty incredible. And I feel like 
it's been a big shift, I have to say, you know, as a novelist, but I think being a novelist by trade before now has served me because I wanted this to be a good story too. I want, I mean, you know, it's like not necessarily, you know, Jean Le Carre, but I want it to feel like a spy novel, but mm -hmm. a true one. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, I, well, we always end our episodes with one last question, which and you kind of answered here, but just to kind of give you the platform one more time, like what do you hope readers take away from reading this book? Yeah. I mean, I think as I, as I mentioned about, you know, it, with Dindy being somebody who, you know, made a, well, a mistake, right? The hunting accident was her fault. Like, you know, she, she tripped, she shot herself in the foot. And I feel like, you know, when I first heard that, I initially thought, oh man, I wish it was some cool way that she shot herself in the foot or, or, or that like, you know, the Gestapo shot her in the foot or something like that. And then I realized, no, this is so much better because I feel like there's hope for all of us. You know, she was told no again and again and again by so many people. And then she shoots herself in the foot and is still told no again and again. And she just kept carving a path for herself. So when, you know, when the State Department said no, then she's like, okay, oh, the Nazis are invading France. I'm going to drive an ambulance on the front lines. By the way, I've never driven an ambulance. Oh, by the way, I have a prosthetic leg. It's all good. I got this, you know, and I feel like she just kept finding spaces for herself. And I think more and more these days, you know, it can be really hard for people to find spaces for themselves, like with the job market, with, you know, pressures for school and student loans and all these things. And it just, you know, the gig economy, it can just feel so hard. And so I hope that people read this book and be like, okay, well, if Dindy can do it with, with a prosthetic leg and the Nazis that are back, whatever this thing I want to do is like, I've got this too. And hopefully she can kind of serve as, you know, um, like a lighthouse basically, you know, in that, in that, in that darkness. So that's what I want books to be lighthouses. <laughs> I think that's absolutely perfect. Heather, the, the book is amazing. We both were so excited to chat with you again and did not disappoint. So thank you for joining <laughs> us today. Thank you. And Jill, I mean, look, maybe I'll see you at Langley someday. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever, we can go back to the spy museum together sometime. Maybe it'll be so much fun. Oh my fun. gosh. That would be so much fun. We should do an edition of the podcast at the spy museum. Should. That would be yeah. awesome. Just all you hear someone yelling the word redacted just really loudly over <laughs> you talking in the whole time. Pretty much. Oh my yeah. God. Um, <laughs> Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Coming up on 5-Minute News... I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news. 
Daily.